Bible to the uh, Gospel of John, as mentioned earlier, chapter 20. We're going to begin reading this morning in verse 24 and uh, read on down to the end of the chapter. Uh, why don't you read the odd verses with me this morning? I'll read the even verses. And um, we'll let God bless us this morning in the reading of his word. But Thomas, not to be confused with Thomas Camper, but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with him. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Father, I pray this morning that as we have read your word and there was some uncertainty that was involved in Thomas's life, but it wasn't just Thomas. Lord, earlier it was the disciples. It was those who followed you. And Father, there could be today in our midst people who are on shaky ground. Lord, they're uncertain of what the future holds. They're uncertain how to even face today. I pray this morning that you'll use your word to be a help to your church. May the believers be edified, and may the unbelievers, Lord, today confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. The title of my message this morning is Finding Peace in the Midst of Uncertainty. Job said in chapter 14 in verse number 1, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And he spoke these words to his friends in the midst of personal suffering and unimaginable loss. He had lost his children. He had lost everything he owned, and he had lost his physical health as from head to toe his body was covered with sore boils. And the pain was so great that he cursed the day he was born, saying in Job chapter number 3, verse 3 and 4, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, there is a man-child conceived. 
Let the day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Perhaps there have been times when many of us have felt the same way. If we would have never been born, we would never experience such hurt and heartache that sometimes we suffer. A few hours prior to his betrayal in the garden and his crucifixion the next day, Jesus expressed to his disciples in John 16 and verse 33. He says, In the world ye shall have tribulation. It is a part of life. And at every turn there is always something that seeks to rob us of our joy seeks to take away our peace. Many of us in this room this morning have lost special loved ones. Some of us are dealing with a health crisis, either personally or someone close to us. Some of us are concerned about finances in this economy. Others are constantly stressed over struggling relationships. It causes us to worry. We worry about the unknowns of our future, while we also fret over the mistakes of our past. We're always in a a moment of doubt and fear. We wonder what kind of world will our children and grandchildren grow up in. We allow the rudeness of others to negatively affect our daily life. The truth is we are masters of worry and regret, fear and distress, hopelessness and doubt. And for 33 years, Jesus lived among the problems of the world. And for three of those years, he made it his public mission to meet the needs that caused so much hurt. He physically healed many who were lame and had no hope of restoration, such as those who were blind, sick with a palsy, and even those who had suffered death. He took away devastating diseases, such as leprosy and the issue of blood the woman suffered from for 12 years. We find him removing demons from the possessed and restoring families who were broken. He completely transformed the wildest of men, He fed the hungry. He even calmed the storms. He would wash the feet of the one who would betray him. And he had trained 11 others to go and change the world. But then he died. Not just died, he was viciously beaten and then crucified on a cross in front of everyone. For those closest to him, as we read the Gospels, we find that this loss of life was devastating. For them, Jesus was gone too soon. There were things that needed to be said. There was guilt that needed to be asked to be forgiven. Often when we go through such confusion and emotional hurt, the thoughts of questioning God soon begins to enter our minds. We, we say things such as, Why, God, why would you allow this to happen? 
Even Jesus, as the full weight of the sin of the world was placed upon him, and he approached his final breath, cried out in Matthew 27 and verse 46, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The curse of sin is what separates us from God and robs us from the peace we desire. Isaiah chapter 59 in verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that we will not hear. He goes on in verse 8, The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. The fact is this morning that Jesus died on the cross in order to give us victory. He died on the cross to remove the curse of sin and to experience so that we could experience peace even in the midst of our most difficult trials. But the question this morning is how? How can we experience such peace in the midst of such uncertainty? Following the crucifixion of Christ, we learn that those closest to Jesus did not immediately experience such peace. Jeremy, he died on the cross for their sin. But immediately, even, when, even though he died on the cross for their sin, Jordan... They didn't experience overwhelming peace. They were filled with trouble. They were distressed over the situation. The circumstances left them in doubt and uncertainty. In fact, they didn't receive peace the first they learned that Jesus was even risen from the dead. Instead, they were filled with more questions. And for some, even more doubt. You can go to church your entire life and not experience true peace. Amen? You can hear the gospel preached over and over again and not experience true peace. But eventually they discovered such peace that would transform their lives. And the question we need answered for our own sake this morning is how did they find it? Well, I want you to go back with me in verses 11 through 18 of this chapter. And here we see the experience, we see the tears of Mary Magdalene. Now, it was Mary who came to Peter and John and told them the disturbing news that the stone had been rolled away and the body of Jesus was missing. As a result, both of the apostles, they, they got up and they ran as quickly as they could to the tomb. And we learned that John was a little bit faster than Peter. Peter could shoot his mouth off quicker at him, but John was faster on foot. And John ran as quickly as he could and he got to the entrance of the tomb and he looked in and there was nobody. And Peter, he made his way, he finally got there. And when he got to the tomb, he just kind of moved John out of the way and he entered into the tomb, and both of them saw the linen clothes lying in the place where once a body laid. 
Not only did they see the linen clothes, but they also saw the napkin that covered the master's head, neatly folded, and off to himself. And as the two returned home, Mary stood behind weeping. And she stooped down and looked into the empty sepulcher. And through teary eyes, she saw something that Peter and John did not. She saw two angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the feet of where the body of Jesus once laid. Now I want you to look with me in verse number 13. The first time, on two separate occasions, Mary was asked, Woman, why weepest thou? And the first time she was asked by the angels. And her response revealed her brokenness and confusion. They said unto her in verse 13, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Now you would think that if you saw two angels, D.D., that's a messenger from God, right? And if you, if you saw from an eyewitness account two angels appearing and standing before you and speaking to you, you would think that all of the struggle and all of the uncertainty and all the distress would go away. But the two angels didn't take away the struggle that, that Mary was dealing with. And the second time she was asked that question, it was by a man who had approached from behind her. It was a man that she should have recognized. Read with me verse 14. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Filled with emotion, she ran to embrace her risen Lord, who had to restrain her, Ronnie, from her excitement. Jesus told her to go and tell the others that he was to ascend to their heavenly Father. And in verse number 18 of this chapter, she came to the disciples and told them, one, that she had seen the Lord, and two, that he had spoken these things unto her. Now surely, Miss Sarah, such good news is going to help an individual. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, verse 11, and they, when they heard that he was alive... And had been seen of her, believed not. She had the most comforting news anyone could hear. Jesus was not dead. Jesus was alive. She had seen him. She had heard him. But even such a testimony left those who had walked closest to Jesus doubting. Left them uncertain left them in unbelief. Now, I want us to get this. When Mary saw the two angels 
Her troubled heart was not flooded with peace. And when she first saw Jesus, she didn't even recognize him. But Mary found peace in the midst of her uncertainty when she heard the Lord speak her name. And it was then that all her problems melted away and the Lord would use her to tell others of all that she had both seen and heard. So what we learn this morning from Mary is that it is not what we see God do that shapes our life nor is it what others see and testify unto us. It is when we respond to his word on a personal level that peace enters our soul. Do you get that? I can preach to you 12-hour message, and you never get it. And you can hear testimony after testimony of the goodness of God. But it is not until you personally, you personally allow the word of God to speak to you. And you recognize God is speaking directly to me right now. It's as if that preacher knows everything about me. Amen? It's as if, it's as if God has revealed everything about my life. When, when we allow God personally to begin to do a work in our heart, that is when peace will come despite the unknowns that surround us. Amen? Now, we learned that from Mary Magdalene. Now, if you'll turn over to Luke chapter 24, we see the hearts of the Emmaus disciples. And I'm not going to read, you can find it all in verses 13 through 35. The testimony of Cleopas and another follower of Christ, who on the same resurrection morning, after they had heard the testimony from Mary and the others, were making the seven and a half mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And along the way, they were trying to reason among themselves the recent troublesome events. They were trying to reconcile that with the testimony of the ladies who brought news that morning that Jesus is actually alive and not dead. They were left scratching their heads. They were unsure. They had their own doubts. They wanted to believe it, Don. But to them, it just didn't make sense. It just didn't sound reasonable. As a man drew near to them... They were so troubled that they didn't recognize who it was. And he began to question them, why are you sad? And the response provides us a look in their troubled hearts. Look at verse number 19. In the middle of the verse, the Bible says their answer is, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was, past tense, a prophet mighty indeed before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death. And have crucified him. But we trusted, past tense, that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. They were left 
confused. Who they, what they thought of Jesus was now being questioned. We, we like to put Jesus in a box. We create our own perception of who God is and what we think he should be. We accept him for what we want to accept him for. He was a prophet. We, we believed that he was this great prophet. We trusted that he was the one who was going to deliver Israel. But now he's gone. Now he's been delivered and crucified. And we don't, we don't understand what God is doing. We don't understand. We were so sure of what God was doing. But now we're left, we're left with doubts and questions. And oftentimes when we are confused and hurting because we don't understand why things are not going according to our plan, we hope to find some sort of sympathy from others. And so they tell Jesus, this is why we're sad. We don't understand. But Jesus doesn't come across as sympathetic to the cause of their trouble. And the reason is because they placed a higher regard on their own interpretation of God's will rather than trust what the Word of God actually said. Read with me verse 25. Then Jesus said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe. I don't do that at a funeral. You know? But Jesus is getting, hard of the, he's getting to the heart of the matter. He says, you fools, you're so slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus began to expound unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And as the evening approached, they invited the stranger to dine in fellowship with them. And as he opened to them the scriptures, they would testify later that their hearts began to burn within them. And that it was Jesus himself who talked with them along the way. And so they quickly returned to Jerusalem to tell others what they had seen and heard. But even then, in Mark 16, verse 13, the Bible says, They went out and told it into the residue. Neither believed they them. The two men discovered peace in the midst of their uncertainty as they were exposed to the truth of the word of God. And as they listened, the fire was rekindled, and a personal fellowship with the Lord began to fill their hearts with a peace as they realized that they may not always understand, but God's ways are always perfect. Amen? So get this. When you're going through trials and you're going through difficulties, and your heart is hurting and your heart is breaking, don't get out of church. And don't get out of the Word of God. I know that I have found in my own life 
that when I am discouraged or I'm trying to figure out what God is doing, that it's those times that I'm having a very difficult time. I'm trying to read the Bible, but I'm not getting it. And the reason for that is because I'm more concerned with what I'm going through than what God is trying to teach me. Amen? And those Emmaus disciples... As long as they were focused on their troubles and their problems, Jesus was physically there. But they neither knew him nor his voice. He began to, the greatest preacher, the greatest teacher who ever lived, began to expound them in the scriptures. And as they listened, God began to stir things back up. And they went running back, and I know they still, they they probably didn't have everything. They probably didn't understand everything. But they couldn't tell, they couldn't wait to tell other people, Jesus is alive. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus is seeking to save that which was lost. Amen? And he began to fill their hearts with a peace that they could not get on their own. We don't always have to understand. But we do have to trust that God's ways are perfect. Go back to John chapter 20. And we'll see the testimony of the disciples. Begin reading with me in verse 19. Then the same day at evening began the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Late that resurrection evening, the disciples, they shut themselves in, hiding for fear of the Jews. They were trying to make sense of everything that they had known and all the testimonies that they had heard. And suddenly, without warning or so much as a knock at the door, Jesus stood right there in the middle of them. In Luke 24 and verse 37, the Bible says that they were terrified with fear because they thought they had seen a spirit. But I want you to notice in verse 19 and verse 21, The first words that Jesus delivered to them was, Peace be unto you. Jesus had appeared unto them because he wanted to offer his peace. And when the disciples saw firsthand the wounds that Jesus had suffered in verse number 20, they were glad that they had seen the Lord. So glad that they could not wait to tell Thomas, who was absent when Jesus came. You never know what happens, what might happen when you miss a church service. Amen? I'm just going to put this plug in there too. This happened on a Sunday night. Amen? Thomas! He's alive! He is alive! We have seen the Lord! And it has changed our life. We have heard testimony. We have heard you stand up and testify of the goodness of God. And all of these things and what God has done in your life. You can hear that and hear that and hear that. But at some point, you've got to know him. 
He's got to become real to you. You've got to experience Jesus for yourself. And at that moment, a peace that, that, that passeth all understanding can enter our hearts and our soul and our mind. These disciples had heard the testimonies of others. They had heard the word that was spoken through the eyewitnesses that Jesus was alive, but it was when the Lord revealed himself to them personally and they took a fresh look at how Christ suffered for them. They saw the nail-pierced hands. They, they saw the pierced side. When they, when they took a first-hand look at how Jesus had suffered for them, peace overtook their uncertainty, and they were glad to be in the presence of the Lord. It's personal. Nobody can do it for you. You can be in the greatest church in the world and see people baptized week after week and you're still sitting here and you're, you're uncertain, you're doubting, you're, you're troubled, you're overwhelmed. At some point, personally, you've got to let God in there and do His perfect work. Then we get to Thomas, verse 26. Whatever anyone else saw or heard from the Lord wasn't going to change Thomas. Unless he saw the same for himself. The disciples could tell and retell how the resurrected Jesus just appeared in the room without walking through the door. They could testify of his scars. Mary Magdalene could explain the feeling of hearing Jesus call her name. The Emmaus believers could explain their overwhelmed hearts as they enjoyed fellowship with the Master. But it required a personal revelation for Thomas to believe. In verse 26, the Bible says, And after eight days, again, the disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. He had heard all the personal testimonies of those who had been transformed. He had heard the word of God delivered by many who witnessed the resurrection themselves. He knew that Jesus had the power to raise the dead, yet he would not believe Jesus could raise himself. But he received peace in the midst of his uncertainty when he received a personal revelation from Jesus Christ who encouraged him to believe by faith rather than be troubled by what he didn't see. The delivery of personal testimonies and the offering of a personal invitations to have faith 
and the resurrected Savior named Jesus Christ is the will of God. The scriptures taught and explained to all who will listen is the will of God. People who love you enough to tell you of the eternal hope and peace that is found only in Jesus is the will of God. But peace will only flood your life when you testify yourself that Jesus Christ is indeed your Lord and your God. And he is your Savior from your sins. So let's recap. How does one find peace in the midst of uncertainty? Mary Magdalene found it in her personal response to the Word of God. It's not what we see God do that shapes our life. It's when we respond to His Word on a personal level that peace enters our soul. The Emmaus disciples, they found fellowship reveals God's ways are perfect. It was an exposure to the truth of the Word of God that began to rekindle the fire within. And personal fellowship with the Lord that filled their hearts with the peace of God as they realized that they may not always understand, but God's ways are always perfect. It's fellowship with the Lord. Spending time with Him alone. Whether it be by prayer, whether it's through meditation, thinking on God and turning everything else out. Just having fellowship with the Lord. Then the disciples in the upper room, they found peace when they took a fresh look at why Christ suffered. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Amen? It was when the, world, it was when the Lord revealed himself to them personally, and they took a fresh look at how Christ suffered for them. That peace came, and they were glad to be in the presence of the Lord. And then we see Thomas, who found peace when he, through a personal revelation that led to a personal reminder. It's when he received, when he, when he, when he saw Jesus himself and was encouraged to believe by faith rather than be troubled by what he didn't see. Jesus said in verse 29, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And in closing, I wrap up with verse 30 and 31. The whole reason that John even wrote this gospel. He says, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name. He concludes this resurrection chapter by offering us important explanation. There's nothing more troubling than going through life without the peace of God. We understand our limitations and weaknesses. We are aware of how easy it is for us to fail in life. And we're troubled in many ways. 
And there are many questions that we have in life itself that we simply don't understand. But God wants us to know his peace even in the midst of our uncertainty. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads this morning.